Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dino Tripodis. Tonight, we go behind the scenes of the movie Escape from Death Block. 13, Vengeance Can't Be Caged, unless it's on Whiskey Business. Hi, I'm Peter Tripodis, and welcome to Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey. (sighs) I never get tired of saying it, as it is one with whiskey. And tonight... uh, we're going to have some fun this evening. You know, um, aside from the podcast, and uh, he said with his tongue in his cheek, sarcastically, my extensive career in radio, uh, we also make films. John Whitney, put that thumb up there, Johnny. John Whitney. <laughs> put that thumb up where? For, for the pit listeners at home, I have a he's putting the thumb. Th- okay, yeah, yeah, he's putting the thumb in front <laughs> of the camera. Uh, I've partnered up with on it's not many, one of those films. many occasions to make films, and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, if it... If movies, if making movies was easy, then everybody would do it. I know what you're thinking. Oh, everybody is doing it now with iPhones that can can make movies. You see the commercials and you know, they make it look so simple and easy. It's not. It's not. I don't care on what level it is. Small budget, low budget, big budget. Making movies is hard. And uh, it doesn't even matter what kind of movie it is. Action, romance, comedy. Making movies is hard. But our guest tonight... Gary Jones has been making movies for quite some time, and he's made a lot of them, and he's got a new one. And this one, I have so many questions for him because I don't even know the answers. I have a lot of questions, but this one, I just love the title alone. You're going to be able to see it soon in November on all the streaming platforms, and it's going to have some screenings in and around Ohio as well prior to that. But we're going to be talking about Escape from Death Block 13. The title says it all, doesn't it? Vengeance Can't Be Caged. And uh, we'll find out if it can be or not. Uh, before we get to Gary, and I should also add uh, actor Chris Chris Hahn, who's in the movie playing Bunyan, who's uh, worked with Gary in the past as well. A lot of questions for him. Some of you wrestling fans, maybe he looks familiar to you. I don't know how long ago he did the wrestling thing, but we'll find out more about that as well. So much on tap for tonight's podcast, Hansberry, including some of the business that we have to do beforehand. And I'll introduce the guest bottle, which is appropriate for tonight's podcast and subject matter. So I'm very excited about the whole thing. That's a good cliffhanger. Good. They're going to have to stick through the business to find out what the name of the liquor is called. Right. Uh, that's good. That's good radio. Thank you. Thank radio you, thank you. I'm yeah. learning. No, you know, I'm back, I'm back in the radio sound. I'm doing the creative tease. <laughs> Thanks to our uh, network, uh, Evergreen Podcasts. You can check them out at evergreenpodcast.com. They're our network. We're proud to be a part of them. Uh, at their website, you can find uh, all sorts of uh, episodes that are different um, different types of podcasts they've got, uh, ranging from like kids stuff to true crime to music and everything. So there's a to, lot there to this, to, to this nonsense, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whiskeybusinesspod.com is where you can find everything whiskey business, including archived episodes and uh, new, our new headshots. <laughs> well, you know, just case, hey, we, yeah. we 
we worked hard on this. This is definitely yeah, good. Yeah. We're, we're not we're not we're not attractive people. It was tough to get a good picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Photoshop skills on uh, Jennifer. <laughs> ten out of ten, Jen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube whiskey business with Dina Tripodis. This, uh, if you're not if you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, thank you by the way for subscribing and rating and reviewing. But you might want to check us out on YouTube because uh, John does a great job uh, editing the videos, but. If I'm not wrong, I think we got some clips of the movie that we're going to be able to like sneak in there a little bit, right, guys? Yep. So yep. Uh, as we're talking, you're actually going to be able to see some of the scenes that we're talking about. Some of it's Chris in action, and then everybody, everybody in action. Uh, so this would be a good one to check out. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and uh, Peacock. We on Peacock? We're on Peacock. You know what? Out of all, <laughs> out of all the fictitious yeah. extra things that you say we're on, yeah. Peacock might be the closest one we can maybe get to. Possibly one day. Possibly someday. Yeah. Maybe. That's someday. Good. All right. Maybe. This yeah. whole nonsense. Somebody somebody from the Peacock never was like, we should turn uh, that thing into a TV show. First Peacock, then Shudder. Shudder. <laughs> 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 yeah, the other way around. But, uh, but uh, oh, and our guest bottle tonight, since we're going to be talking about uh, an action prison film, Escape from Death Block 13. We thought, and this is all on John Whitney. John Whitney had the stroke of genius. He came across our guest bottle for tonight. I believe it's bottle 179 here on the podcast. Big house, big house, straight cool. yeah. bourbon whiskey, age six years from the good people at Sazerac. Um, this cool. is on the low end of your uh, whiskey shelves. This retails for about 17 bucks a bottle. It's age six years. It is deceivingly cheap, but pretty darn good. Hey, it's Sazerac. Well, how, what do you want? Well, right? that's not necessarily always uh, the case. Sometimes uh, just because the, the name is Sazerac, you know, doesn't really mean that they put out some good stuff. But in this case, this drink. case, this is a very drinkable everyday bourbon, especially for the price, six years. It's got a nice little uh, on the nose. I picked up a, the kind of a spicy hot nose, but then when you drink it, it's got a nice little touch of uh, vanilla and caramel in it. Mm. And it's very drinkable. You can enjoy it neat. Or throw a rock in there and enjoy it that way. But uh, for the price and uh, the quality, I'll, I'll, I'll tie it into it. 90 proof. And the artwork. The artwork, yeah. and the artwork alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a great finish. Bourbon. I like it. Yeah. For, for I think, I, I can't remember what their, what their, what their tagline is. It has something to do like Big House Bourbon for, for bourbon drinkers on the inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or I think she pushed that to him, or, or something like that. So kind <laughs> of the lamb. cell block. Yeah. yeah, right. So right, appropriate. appropriate. We love the we love a theme whenever we can get one. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Our, Perfect. our guests are writer, director Gary Jones, and actor Chris Hahn, who plays Bunyan in Escape from Death Block Thirteen. Which I have a follow up question. For that name later when we talk we about the whole episode on Bunyan alone. I know the answer to that. One. You know the answer to that one. You know, I believe that I believe that his character's name is an, is an homage. Yes. To something which we'll, to we'll, we'll get to later. Yes. But let's talk about uh, Escape from Death Block Thirteen and and talk to Gary Jones for start. Chris, thank you for being here. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it thank man. you for I having really, me. I appreciate you coming down. Uh, I saw some of your clips and the stuff that Gary said. I saw the, the bullpen fight scene, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. And uh, to me, it looked like you guys were actually kicking each other's ass. So, <laughs> so, so bravo, well done. Gary Jones, you make a lot of movies. You've made a lot of movies. Trying to make more, too. Trying to make more. Yeah. So I know that this is something that you always wanted to do uh, as, as a kid. This has always been... And how many kids 
get to grow up and actually do what they yeah. daydreamed and, and said one day, I want to make the kind of movies that I loved watching as a kid. That's it. That's it. I mean, it, it, it was the dream as a kid. I would sit in front of the TV and everybody would be outside playing football or working on cars. And I'm sitting there watching King Kong and Mighty Joe Young and, you know, all the war movies and action movies. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to just make movies? You know, is there a job? How do you do that? So, yeah, I mean, it was it was something as a little kid is what I always wanted to do. And I thought, you know, I'll get there one day. I just didn't know how. Right. I didn't know it would take a long time, but uh, got there eventually. But, yeah, it's it's been cool. Aside from the very first feature film you made, which we'll get to here in just a little bit, what was the first thing you put on film on a camera where you actually wow. got to, to say, I'm going to make a, a movie? You know, and as a kid, even. Yeah, well, I mean, I started out, you know, I, I always watched all the uh, um, war movies and action movies and creature features, and I was interested in special effects. So, like, the first stuff I did was we'd watch these uh, war movies and we'd see people get shot and things blow up. So um, I had some friends who uh, uh, were a little bit older, and they would buy us black powder. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I found a book in the library <laughs> like, called... Uh, the technique of special effects cinematography. And in that, they had a chapter on mortars and explosions and how they, for war movies. And then also there was a thing called squibs, uh -huh. which they use for bullet hits. And, and so I would read all this stuff and go, and I realized, wait a minute, that squib, okay, I can't get that, but it looks like a firecracker. So if I take a firecracker uh -huh. and solar, anyways, I won't get into it, but basically we, I started out making these little things, these little, Bullet hit squibs and blood. Bags. How, old, how old are we when we did, when uh, we came upon this discovery? 11, 12. <laughs> awesome. yeah. Still have all your fingers. So Got all the fingers yeah. and toes. So, you know. Uh, they went through a bunch go of ketchup movie, Bob. Be right back. Be but home that, later. That was really the kind of the start. So it was, uh, was practicing and doing special effects stuff. And so I'd rig my brothers up with a bunch of bullet hit squibs and we'd shoot it with Super 8 cameras. But then I realized, okay, I've got to do something more than just doing gags and things, you know? And so the first thing I shot was uh, kind of like a little horror thing where, uh, again, using my brother and sister, and um, uh, my sister has a knife and she sneaks down the hallway and she's going to stab my brother to death. And so I shoot that in Super 8. And um, I remember vividly, you know, starting out with the Super 8 camera, you put the little cartridge in and you right. film, and then you take the cartridge out and you go to Kmart's. And Kmart's would send it away to New York or New Jersey and you'd wait a week or two. Right. Then it comes back and you're like, it's back and you go get it, save up the money and pay the $2. And then I'd spool it out and look at it and it'd be all out of focus. Mm. Or, uh, you couldn't preview it. <laughs> no, and I'm like, uh, super eight. so do it again, do it again. Finally, you get it back and, and when you figure out how to make things work and exposures, then it was just great. I would take those pieces of film and cut them and you know little things and tape them together and run them through that little you know the little screener thing there and i saw a scene and it came together and i stretched it out i added more to it and it was like a moment where i went you know it's an epiphany I, I know how to do this this is how you do it and uh you know i had read books and magazines and stuff but when you actually physically do it you know it's that thing where you 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 just get it right and the life changes and i'm like okay i'm on the path that was I was pretty young, but that was really the start. Was actually doing it with Super Eight and seeing it. Of course, a lot of people go, "Well, what's Super Eight? Well, Super Eight, you know, yeah, yeah, Super Eight uh, film." But that's, uh, that's the way. That was, was really the start. I remember and, shooting around, messing around with Super Eight cameras. We didn't make movies; we just shot ourselves on Super Eight. Mm -hmm. Johnny, was it Super Eight for you? Did you remember your first little? Yeah, like I did a stop motion on Super Eight. 
Cool. But then later on, because my dad worked for a television station, I was able to get on a CP16 when I was like 12. Yep. And just mess with Cracker. And I'll be the millennial. I only knew about Super 8 because remember that movie that came out called Super 8? Yeah, right, right, right. So right. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's tight. And then I had a new appreciation for it. You know, your, uh, your first experience with probably shooting anything was probably with a VHS yep, camera. Yeah, right? my dad had a VHS. My sister was a big going to be the next big volleyball athlete. So he bought a, right. VHS, a VCR hand recorder to watch mm-hmm. her to film her volleyball games. And then uh, during the off season, I would just dick around with stop and go or, or yeah scaring yeah. my sister or stop, stop motion was yeah, a big, yeah, was a yeah. big influence the ray harry Hawson movies and right i did that i my uh i wanted a camera i finally got a, a great one from christmas uh my parents finally got me that gf super 8 movie camera and had a single frame button on it so i could finally do stop motion mm-hmm. and again you know as a kid growing up you watch these movies and the sinbad movies and things and then when you could actually recreate things like that uh, it just gave me a boost that I couldn't get anywhere. And so my first thought was, I don't need to go to school. I'm just going to get cameras and get equipment and just go do it. And that's kind of what we I did, really. And then I moved up to 16 millimeter and got right. a Bolex. And, you know, it kind of just took off from there. Learn by doing. That was it, yeah. There's an aesthetic to film. I know that when uh, it was precious, you know, when I would get a roll of film, that's what you had, you know. You made damn sure what you shot was what you wanted. Mm-hmm. So you would rehearse it and you'd right. do it once or twice. And it forced you to accept what you did. Right. With digital, you know, one the first time I got to shoot a movie with digital, uh, I didn't have to yell cut. No. I just backed up and kept going. And I realized every time I would call cut, the world would stop, the clock would tick, everybody would come in and change, you know, you, you'd run out of time. So I wouldn't yell cut. I just let it roll. Well, of course, you know, the editor's like, you know, you got nine hours. <laughs> but the actors loved it because they just backed up and went it again, back up to it again. So I don't know. I think there's that aesthetic with film and, you know, you physically have something and it forces everybody to go. No, that's it. It is happening right there. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much of this film stock. Right? It's it really, I, I, it I, forces I, you to be creative. I've had some performances shot on, on film and yeah, it's like. It's different. Yeah. When you, watching the director just grimace like oh uh, yeah all right one more one more but you know let's get it right this time yeah i i made this i made the 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 switch to say it didn't matter for me anymore when i had to do a movie i did a movie for a company called the asylum who's famous for sharknado and all those creature features well i did a movie called jolly roger massacre at cutter's cove and um, it was one of uh, it was a script Sorry, we wrote. I just love the titles, the man. man. And uh, my uh, writing producing partner Jeff Miller, you know, he came up with the idea. We wrote the script and we sold it the asylum. And uh, they, I had a movie project fall through, a bigger movie. And I'm like, I don't got a movie to make now. And they're like, Well, how about you direct this for five bucks? You know. And so I took the challenge. They go, But you're only going to get nine days. I'm like, I'll do it, and I'll show you guys how we make movies. Well, I got to shoot on 35 with short ends. So you'd get a can that said 200 feet. Well, it only had 80 feet in it. Right. So we were constantly rolling out. So that whole time I was shooting, I'd go through a take, would roll out in the middle of a take. So I couldn't wait to get away from film and get into the digital realm to where I could get it done and have multiple cameras and whatnot from a cost standpoint. So once digital took over and, and it looks great and you can do great things with it, you still have to light. There's no sure. shortcut there. Yeah, there's, uh, but the, the, the money savings is huge. And you're shooting your own stuff, though, Gary, right? Did uh, you shoot cell block? No, I did some of it, but mo- mainly I bring in a cameraman, DPs, okay. and stuff. I'll right. operate from time to time or shoot inserts, but 
I like to have that team in there. Okay. Which brings me over to Chris because I, you've been you've been shooting films since you were a kid, obviously, and you've got a super eight camera, and you're still shooting films. You haven't always been an actor. No. No. It's professional wrestler. Professional wrestler. Yeah. Are we talking like uh, WWE? Yes. Really? Yes. I uh, I started off when I was 20. I went to a place called the Monster Factory, which was in Marion, Ohio. What is the Monster Factory? It's a pro wrestling school. It's a school. Yeah. And they produced the likes of Lex Luger. Okay. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Raven. Um, Sting, some of the bigger name guys. And you were... But there was a school in Maryland, one in Pensacola, Florida, and then one in Marion, Ohio, and I was Johnny Paradise. I was, <laughs> I was the man from Fantasy Island, every man's nightmare, every woman's dream. <laughs> Good guy or bad guy? Oh, I was a bad guy. Yeah, by far. Bad guy. And I had long blonde hair. And oh, man. I was a... They call it a heel. In, in a heel, exactly. There's a, there's a TV show on uh, Stars right now called heels and um the guy that plays uh um green arrow adam something is with the star in it and they use a lot of the wrestlers as stunt guys and um hopefully i've been talking to the stunt coordinator who is a professional wrestler by the name of hawk and hopefully i get on season two cool so uh, yeah great but um professional wrestler for 28 years and i've worked with the likes of Wow. The Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, sure. The Undertaker. Um, some of my stuff's on YouTube. Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker's on YouTube. Uh, I just got my rear end kicked. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, it was an experience because I was in front of 30,000 people. Sure. Yeah. How's your um, joints, man? 28 years. Now. I got to get a hip replacement. Yeah. Both shoulders are bad. <laughs> yeah. um, and now I'm a stunt guy. So, I mean, oh, it just no. gets worse. But in 2014, <laughs> I had a brain tumor due to all the head injuries that I got through the wrestling world. I had a softball-sized brain tumor over wow. my right eye. And I got out of that, and the doctor told me that the wrestling world was done. And I said, well, can I do stunt work? Because a buddy of mine out in California is a stuntman. He's been a stuntman for years. He said, you've been a stuntman for 28 years. You do choreographed fight scenes. Right. Um, you're more versed in choreographed fight sure. scenes than anybody in the stunt business, yep. really. Yep. And he goes, you might as well do that because everything is safety, safety, safety. Yeah. I mean, when we worked on Death Block, it took us about three hours to shoot that fight scene. But Gary made sure that the mats were down, we had our pads on, that when we hit the ground, we can always spill, speed the film up to make it look like you're hitting it far harder. Everything's at 50%. And then what we do is we rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it. And then he looks at it on screen, on film, and sees what he likes. And when he doesn't like, we go back, we redo it. And then we pick it up a little bit and we first little, like the first time we practice it or shoot it, we shoot it about 50%. And then we do it at 75%. And then we do it at 100%. We really go at it. But it's blocked into certain sections. So what you see on screen is probably five or six different pieces mm-hmm. of the fight scene. And then Gary and his magician, because he's a magician, puts it all together and it just goes so smooth. That's oh, awesome. I, I, yeah. You know? I watched the, the, the Gary sent us the, the clip of the bullpen fight. Right. And it, it just looks like Gary said, all right, I really want you guys just to, you know, kick each other's ass yeah. right. and Let's I'll go. film it. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, it, it, it looks, it looks great. It looks great. The thing that I find four o'clock in the morning, at four o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's what we shot. Um, the thing that I find different between there's two things in professional wrestling and then being a stuntman is, in professional wrestling, there's a lot of ego. 
So no, <laughs> it's it's about putting yourself over. Right. In the stunt business, it's a dance. You work hand in hand to make the movie right. look better. Now, on a professional wrestling circuit, and when you're in the ring, you have surround. You have about twenty, thirty thousand people. You got to sell it just as good for the person in the last row as you do in the front or in the first row. On film, you have a screen about that big. You can't step outside the frame. So you got to work on your footwork. You got to work on how to throw punches so that you don't go out of frame and that you sell it too. So it's a different world and it took a lot to get used to, but with help of guys that are versed in the business like Gary and then Rick Fike um, up in Cleveland, who's a stunt guy in Cleveland, they worked with me and you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm getting there. Are you digging <laughs> it? I'm getting there. You it's slow I love yeah, having fun. Yeah, I, having I'm having time. a blast, and I, I wouldn't do anything else in the world. Yeah, That's right awesome. now, especially to go from that career to this, <laughs> right? And still, at the same time, still use your skill set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. Exactly. Uh, your character in Cell Block, uh, Death Cell Block, Death Block Thirteen, is Bunyan. Yes. Which is, I said earlier, an homage, homage an, yeah. homage, an homage to another Gary Jones film, Axe Giant, The Wrath. <laughs> The Wrath of Paul Bunyan. The Wrath of Paul Bunyan. And I played Paul Bunyan. Exactly. So the different the name Bunyan was that was on purpose to give him that name. Yeah, it well it 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 was. Well, you know, when I was when I was writing the script for Death Block, you know, I had the idea for, you know, part for Chris in it. And, you know, I'm writing away and I like to pick a name, you know, you get a name for a character quickly when you're writing. And I just put Bunyan down. You know, I'm like, okay, Chris is Bunyan. And I thought, I'll change it later, you know. And uh, as I kept going, I'm like, well, no, he's Bunyan, you know. And as I was writing it, and I was writing it for Chris, and with that character in mind, I'm hearing Chris do talk and do his Johnny Paradise and his ramblings and stuff. And I'm, you know, you know I'm writing it that way. And I'm like, well, it's going to be Bunyan now. He's yeah, going to stay Bunyan. It's going to stay Bunyan. And then, of course, I'm thinking, and you know, and if this movie is more successful than Axe Giant, then... People might go buy Axe Giant again, and we can get some more money. (laughs) Axe Giant was wonderfully ridiculous. It is. (laughs) But it really, it's the homage. It was. It's really, uh, Chris's character in uh, in Death Block, you know, as I was writing it, I'm like, okay, well, not to give it away, but uh, it's Chris, you know. it's Chris is playing his his whole wrestling thing, Mm -hmm. you know. It's about boisterous and being loud and proud, you know, and the bully and talking things down and being like the king of the cell block. But you don't necessarily have to prove it all the time. Right. You know, so I used it as a, as a kind of a starting but point. But it felt like your character was slightly vulnerable because it was kind of a twitchy character where it had a couple of ticks, I thought, that made you feel vulnerable. So right. there's, there's, there's a couple scenes in there that, um, which I won't give anything away, that if you would come watch me wrestle... Mm-hmm you would think I would be back in the ring. So it it was really natural to me. Gotcha. I, I read the script, but I didn't really have to rehearse my lines because it's everything I say. Right. You know, I would use a lot of nursery rhyme stuff when my wrestling world. I get on the microphone and I talk all kinds of trash. Well, in the movie, you can hear me because I'm louder. I might not be in the scene, but you hear me in the background <laughs> just talking all kinds of trash. And it got over really well because we screened it twice. And when my part comes up, there's a lot of laughter because there's a lot of the people that came to the screens that are friends of mine that have been to the wrestling shows. 
and it's the exact same character as it is yeah. in the wrestling world. So you're paying an homage to Johnny Paradise. Been yeah. away. And uh, <laughs> is paying an homage to Axe Giant. Yeah. And let's 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 get down to something that we 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 we've been just bouncing all over the place. Escape from Death Block Thirteen. Let's talk about the basic premise of this okay. film and what it's about because we know it's in prison. We know it's obviously a death block. <laughs> And yeah. we know someone's trying to get out of it. Exactly. And so, for the record, it's not uh, one of 13s in a film trilogy uh, series. It's the first one. No, it's, it's the first one. The first one. There isn't 12 other films. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. But we, we hope to work backwards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's yeah. hysterical. All right. But, so, so the basic premise for Escape from Death. Uh, base, the basic premise was uh, I had an idea that I wanted, I wanted to do an escape movie from the prison, you know, because we, we have the Shawshank prison there, the right. reformatory. And I've been there a hundred times and I'm like, man, I got to use this place. You know, it's a million dollar movie set. It's just right here. And I wanted to do an action movie and I wanted to basically do a throwback action movie, a retro movie. I grew up on the Bronson movies, the getaway, Mr. Majestic, uh, 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 Emperor of the North Pole, you know, with Lee Marvin and, and great uh, movie or nine. I, I love those movies and those movies, they were simple. It was about a code of honor. If you did a handshake deal, you honored the deal. You know, it was simplicity. It wasn't about the technology. And I wanted to do a movie like that and get away from cell phones and all the other crap right. that, you know, all the movies are about. So basically, you, you, you well, as I said earlier, you went back to the well of what back. you watched you, when you were a kid and, and loved. And, and now, I, now I want to make my movie. That's it, yeah. I used to get the, the uh, back in the day, we'd have, a TV guide you'd get on a sure. Sunday, after, you know, Sunday. <laughs> I'd read the TV guide. I'd highlight it all. And at dinner during the week, my dad would go, Gary, what's on Wednesday night at 10? I go, oh, Wednesday night at 10 is Mr. Majestic. All right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Battle of the Bulge is on Friday. So I knew all the movies and that's how we watched our stuff. So this movie, I wanted to do a throwback to those movies, a, a, a retro action movie using that prison. And so I came up with the premise for it. And I had a character in there that I had in mind. It was going to be a guy who comes from down south to here and, you know, to collect this this debt. Well, I met Robert Bronzy. Robert Bronzy. Robert Bronzy. Un- Robert Kovacs. Yeah. Robert Kovacs, who uncannily yes. looks a lot like one of your heroes. Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. So I get this call from my buddy, uh, Jeff Miller, who was my partner in Axe Giant. He said, hey, I'm doing this movie in California called Death Kiss, which is a ripoff of Death Wish. We got this actor, looks like Charles Bronson. He sends me a picture. I go, you can't do that, man. That's that's a cheat. That's such a ripoff. People will not want, that's, you can't do it. He goes, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. And I go, dude, it's it's a hit and run. I mean, it's a gag. So he asked me if I wanted to help him. And I said, oh, we'll see, you know. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know, Death Kiss may be a gag. Right, because right. it's Death Wish. Sure, but no, this is a good idea. This guy, you know, Robert Kovacs can get me that get me that little piece of the past. People of our generation will see it, and it'll remind them of those great movies. So I thought, you know, I got to put him in this action movie. I got to get Robert Kovacs, Bronzy Kovacs, in this movie. It's going to get me that throwback I want. It also has the gimmick that he looks like Bronson and people will talk about it. People have to talk about your product. Yeah. Doesn't sure. matter. Yeah. Publicity is publicity. Yeah, no matter what they're saying. Yeah. So, you know, I had a script and I, I wrote the script really quick and I knew kind of what I wanted to go with it. 
And I had the character from down south. I go, well, but I'm going to put Bronzy in it. So I went to uh, um, Texas Frightmare Festival to meet him because we were premiering uh, Death Kiss there, which I helped my partner Jeff work on. And I met Bronzy and we sat in a bar and I said, hey, I want you to do this part. And I had him read some lines I wrote, you know, and his English wasn't that good. But, you know, we were kind of getting there. He's from Hungary. So he's got this Hungarian accent and everything. And uh, um, I told him what the part was all about. And so I had him read lines and I went, you know what? Uh, If you want to do this, you know, I'd like you to do this movie. And and I said, look, let's let's do a deal. So we had drinks. We made a handshake deal, had a couple of whiskeys. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to rewrite this. The character now comes from Hungary to collect the debt. So I wanted, I decided I'll play Bronzy exactly who he is. I made him Hungarian coming here to collect the debt. Very simple thing. I'm coming to collect the debt, death benefit for my brother's family. He died here. You owe the money. It's in a contract. Pay the money. And if they would have paid the money, everything would be great. But they didn't. They didn't. So, and I thought it actually worked great for the movie because I think audiences can get into that when a foreigner from another country comes over who, not that they're slow, but they're more about, it's more about the person. It's more about code of honor, simple stuff. Hey, family, family, everything. So I meet Bronzy. We make this deal and uh, we make a, we do a handshake deal to do three movies and he's going to, he's going to play this part. So I said, look, I'm going to send you this dialogue, but um, I want you to read through it and give me a call. And then, so we started talking. And basically, I took all my dialogue and had him read it back to me. And of course, he changes it. He drops a word. He adds a word. And I rewrote it so that it would totally work for the way he would talk. Completely rewrote his part. It didn't take long, really. But as soon as I made the shift, everything started to fall into place with the story. And now I could believe that the guy would just come here to get the money. And hey, I got to get on a plane tomorrow. Give me the cash. How's he he end up going to prison? Well, I could, I'll give it away. Oh, I don't want no, to. No, 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 but it turns out the mob runs the recycling company. And of course, they're not going to give him his money. Or no. maybe they will. They give him some, but maybe they don't give him all his money. So that's where the, that's how the movie takes off. And it was all a device to get him into prison, wrongly accused. And while he's in there, he discovers the bigger issue, the bigger problems, and what happened to his brother, and then connecting all the dots. And the people who run the prison... They're a little connected too. Right. So, our, so we got just, good guys and bad guys. You're telling me there's corruption throughout this entire corruption everywhere. <laughs> that hey, sound, the, sound the, real. the worst the yeah. worst guy in Cell Block 13 is is probably the uh, uh, you know the most innocent guy out there compared to all the guards and everybody else. So oh, got to watch the innocent look. You're gonna you're gonna you know, you'll like it. It's it's a good uh, it's a good flip on everything. And um, well, John John, I cool. was supposed to see it with John Whitney, and unfortunately, some some. Uh, Things happened that I couldn't go, but but John said it was just the action from start to finish. It was just you know, yeah, it was a fun ride, especially in the, in the third act. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I always try to, you know, the movie started a certain way. I wanted to do a throwback ag- action movie and a real gutsy, just straight, you know, drama thing. 
No, I didn't, I wasn't going to go for camp or giant monsters or anything. This was a different animal. And then when I started the project, you know, we started the movie without, we didn't have all our financing and I knew I would be shooting it in a couple of different parts. And I knew I had the prison for about a week for the first leg of the shoot. So once we started shooting had all these characters and we had all the wrestlers and everybody's, you know, all these parts, it grew. And I just saw the potential <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm going to short changes if I don't go down this other path. So the movie got twice as big, twice as expensive, twice everything. And then I went, if I'm, if I'm going this way, <laughs> if I'm going this route, it has to be a roller coaster because all the great movies that I loved growing up always ended up taking you down a path and each you know, section topped the last. And when you got to that last part of the movie, it was a roller coaster. So you have the two things I always love with the movie. There's the residual effect and there's like the first five minutes. So if you walk in a movie in five minutes, you, five, 10 minutes, you know whether you're gonna stay or not, right? right. Where you're gonna watch it or walk out. When you leave a movie, are you gonna tell someone they gotta see it? You gotta see this movie. And right. so I always use, that's my MO. Get them in and make sure you get enough interest to keep them. But then when they leave that theater, doesn't matter whether you, you just fumble it, you know, you fumble the game. If you go out in a big way and you blow up the bridge, the bridge on the River Kwai, you're going to tell somebody about it right. and they're going to want to see that. So, this, so that's what I've been doing ever since. So that's there's stuff in this escape from Death Block 13 that people are going to be I think so. buzzing about. And I saying, think so. You got to go. <laughs> and for no other reason, just to see this. Yes. Or yeah, right. that or whatever the case well, might be. You know, I, I took it down a path from uh, the story being very straight to her. I wasn't going to go camping. I didn't want to go in a certain direction. However, um, with all these crazy characters, the humor creeped in. Uh, the over-the-topness started to come in, and I couldn't deny it. It had to go. That I mean, I could have not gone down that path, but I think the audience would have been cheated because it does a turn, and it needs to go where it goes. If you're going to go on a roller coaster, you want it to be a, yeah. a, a really exciting roller coaster. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I wanted to pull out the stops, and it worked with Axe Giant where we pulled out the stops at the end. It just became a roller coaster. Of, uh, Sci-Fi Channel said when they bought that <laughs> Axe Giant, they go, wow, you got 45 minutes of action in the last half 45 minutes right. of the movie's action. I go, yeah. And they bought it. And I'm like, hmm, I got to remember that. Right, right, right. right Your right. last 45 minutes have got to rock. So is this your second film with Gary? Or have you done another second? With second second with Gary. I've done well, probably about 28, 29 films. Uh, that oh, you've been shit. involved in? Yeah. We've been stunt work to acting. I just, I just was working on a project up in, uh, did some stunt work on a project in Cleveland called White Noise. Oh, yeah. Adam Driver. Don, yeah, and, Don, uh, the, the, the Don DeLella book. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I auditioned for that movie. Oh, did you? Yeah, I didn't get it, obviously. <laughs> I auditioned for you, So you guys character. are shooting it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what's I guess your call you get time? The part. I guess I didn't get it. <laughs> I did about 14 days of stunt work up there. So oh, I mean, we'll call you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. You've been down that road. <laughs> I've been that road, though, for sure. Watch yeah. that phone ring. I'm, I'm very curious <laughs> about that movie because it's a very strange book. It's, 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 I, when we go off air, I'll tell you some things about what went on, and it's it's pretty wild. I um, bet. And then I got a movie coming out the same day as Death Block comes out, November twelfth, called Red Notice with Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. Okay. And I play a Russian prison guard. They shot that down in Atlanta. Nice. Um, I heard good things about that too. Yeah, lot, I'm excited of, about that. Action, so yeah. a lot of action in it. Um, You're getting quality work, man. Yeah. Great. 
I did, uh, um... And then every now and then he works with me. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? And I was telling Daryl on the way down... Uh, I love a writer-director. I love a writer-director who's self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah, I was telling Gary on the way down, I've been in the acting business now for about 10 years, and it's nice to work on the big, big budget movies, uh-huh. but you sit around and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, and it's it gets to be a pain in the ass. Where when you on, cash that check, it's right, time. Right, right, well, right, you know, yeah. don't get me wrong. The money's nice because, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but when you work on a, a lower budget movie, you're contributing. Something. You're contributing. Yeah. You yeah. have a lot more involvement. Yeah. I can actually go on set and watch the other actors and learn from other actors. Sure. Where on a big budget set, when they're shooting, you can't go anywhere near it. Yeah. So I can't go and see what makes Adam Driver Adam Driver. But when I go and on Gary's movie, I can sit there next to Gary and. Watch Bronzy become Bronzy. And I can see what little quirks he has that I may be able to use in my acting career to make my acting career a little bit better. We just worked on a project down in um, Texas where I got to work with uh, um, Michael Matson. Okay. And unbelievable. It was one of the best things I ever did because Michael Matson, we actually had a lot of dialogue and we actually had a not a fight scene, but an argument in the middle. Of, and so I fed off him. He fed off me. And Gary did the directing on it. And Gary comes up to me and says, I know it's Michael Madsen, but just go and play your part and be your character. Don't worry about line for line. Feel it. Right. And I got right in his face and I gave him a rash of shit. <laughs> but uh, it felt good because a lot of directors don't allow you to do that. They want you to do word for word because it's their word and that's the way they want it. So sometimes it just doesn't feel right. Where if I can free freelance it and do what I feel is best, but the same meaning comes out, I feel a lot better about my character and about the part that I play. Yeah, but Johnny. With the, with the, that way. With Johnny. the low budget stuff, I wanted to throw that in with you. Um, so on Death Block, when I was when I was writing it, I knew we were going to have to have all these inmates and stuff, and so I talked to Chris, and it's like, hey, get all the ASWA wrestlers, mm-hmm. get all the wrestlers in there. Every one of them's a character. Right. They can they they do performance already. Right. And they can do stunts and action. Right. I don't have to double anybody, so I'm getting this win. So actually, with Chris, Chris is an associate producer on the movie. I'm like, Chris, you got to come in at That's the right. beginning. You're sure. going to do more than just act. Sure. I need you to get to these guys. We got to work out all this deal. We got to work the fights out. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need a deal for food. So in the independent lower budget movies, you get to actually make them. And you become an actor. And, and then the nice thing about it is. Not only do I get to see it from an actor's point of view, right. but I get to see it from a producer's point of view. Yeah. I get to stand behind the camera and watch Gary do his thing. So I get to see it from a director's point of view, which gives me more of an appreciation as an actor of what happens behind scenes. Yeah, when you're wearing different hats, you definitely. Yeah, yeah because you got to look at it this way. Stunt may not be your entire future. Sure. You may want to branch off into being a producer. Exactly. You know, exactly. Learning, you're learning from an independent guy here, man. So I went, do I went to... Uh, a friend of mine, his name is Chris Barnes. He's a stunt coordinator, and he did the stunt coordinating on a Hulu movie called um, "Only Murders in the Building" with Steve Martin. Yeah. And I'm watching it right now. Right. It right okay, now, so man. I did some stunt driving. Nice. In it. nice. But he's a good buddy of mine, so he said, "Hey, I want you to come to a stunt coordinating meeting with me and the producers and the director." So I got to sit in, but I sat That's in the cool. back and I just listened to what they discuss on a big Disney project, mm-hmm. and it was kind of overwhelming. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I told him, hey, I appreciate you letting me uh, sit in on this and kind of learn. But like Gary tells me, he goes, 
it's all about connections and who you meet and and how you come across. I'm, I so when I go, I mean, the crazy thing is when I was on Red Notice, when Di- when Dwayne Johnson walks on set, he goes around and shakes everybody's hand. If you're an extra, if you're a food catering person, <coughs> whatever, because he realizes if it wasn't for everybody working as a unit, his movies wouldn't get made, and he wouldn't be living in that multi-million dollar house. And he wouldn't be able to drive that multi-million dollar car. Well, he's a team player. He comes from team sports. He understands exactly. That. And it's yeah. just, it's just he's overwhelming from wrestling. So exactly. he knows, yeah. he knows yeah. the drill. Yeah. So it's like you have to come off, and I, I'm one to talk. I love to talk, and I'm loud as hell. <laughs> but when I'm on a movie set, I keep my mouth shut. My pro wrestling trainer always told me, keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open and listen and learn. It's not about what you say. It's about what you learn when you're on set because it'll make you a better person at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, God bless, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The resume continues to grow. Yeah. Uh, I gotta and, and don't forget me when you get the when you know when you get that multi dollar home. Don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Call your assistant. Call your assistant. Who are you? Can we do lunch? <laughs> so let, Gary, let me you. ask. Let me ask you a, a, a question, <laughs> and think about it for a second. Do you? You made how many features now that you've written and directed? I wanted to say thirteen. I was wishing it was thirteen, um, but it's twelve. It's twelve. It's twelve. Well, it's a lot. And, yeah, and, you, and you've worked on dozens more. Oh yes, a lot, a lot of movies in and, different capacities. In different capacities. Produced for friends, other movies. But things. in respects to the twelve, mm-hmm. do you do you like the movies you make, or do you make movies you like? That's a good question. Uh, well, I definitely make movies I like. Okay. Because you can't, you just can't if you if you don't you can't do a, jo- a good job if you don't like it. You know, so it's it's. I make movies I'd like to see, make movies I'd like, I like. Um, and I like most of them after the fact. You know, there's a lot of, there's issues from all the movies, you know. I don't sure. necessarily get to produce them all, or whatever, but I'm working for other people making my movies or movies that I direct. But yeah, it's a good question, you know. It's, uh, I often wondered, it's like, what's the next one going to be? You uh-huh. know, and I, I have dozens of ideas. And it's weird, it's like, uh, if someone was today say, okay, I have a million dollars, you're ready to go. What are you going to do next? It's kind of hard sometimes to pick because you're always wondering, like, uh, it's, it, it's never easy. It's always a hard choice, which one to do. It takes a lot of work to get it done and you have to invest so much in it and get ready to get your heart broken. Cause you know, just so many obstacles all the way down the line, even once it's done and everyone loves it, then there's the big obstacle. Will anybody pay for it? Right. Or will a distributor actually pay you the money they owe you for? It's like <laughs> too many things. So, yeah, it's I I make movies I love. I guess is the answer, right? If somebody said a million dollars for a movie, I would say, do you want to make two movies for five hundred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I you know, and I, I used to I used to say that all the time, and my wife goes, yeah, but. Why don't you just do one and get paid for it that time? I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a pretty good idea. How about getting paid a decent rate next time? So do you look at this, do you look at what you do as a business or do you look at it as an art? Boy, you know, and there's the good question because I always, I looked at it uh, as I wanted it to be, I mean, I saw it as a business when I got in. I'm like, this is a business, but I saw the art in it. You know, I wanted to make good product. You, You don't want to make, stinkers you want to make good stuff 
I used to watch the Academy Awards and thought, wouldn't it be great to be up there if I was worthy and made something good enough to be up there to accept it for? Which is where I'm kind of going down this so, path. So continue, my so friend. So the continue. art. So that's the interesting thing. So I realized pretty early on that um, I have to, uh, I'm in commercial art. It's mm. a good way and to put it. It's great. If I can make, if I make something commercial and makes them money, they may give me money to make art that may not make money. Right. You know, so it's like one for me, one for them. And early on, I was like, okay, I've got to knock this out of the park for these producers. They're hiring me to direct this movie. It's going to be sci-fi, whatever it is. If they make money, they will allow me to make another movie. And maybe I'll get to make one of my ideas, one that I really want to make. And every movie I've taken as a hired gun, as a director, you know, they'll tell me what the project is. And if I think, ah, the script doesn't sound very good, but I need the job, right? And I have a family. So it's a job. It's a business. So then I take it and I go, before I open that script, I'm like, oh, please, hope, I hope there's something here I can get behind. Because I can't just phone it in. I, I, you can't do it. I, I can't do it. So I open the script and like, okay, I can get behind that. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I could do something with that. Or that's kind of similar. I've seen that before. Maybe we can rewrite that. So I always try to look at it fresh and go, what can I do with this? You know, to make it me be the one that's the biggest fan of it. Because I have to pour it all out there and convince people. And so I'm in commercial art. And if I can, if I can, if I can make money, then I can go make art that if nobody sees it, great. But I, I never wanted to just make something for me. I wanted to sit in the back of the theater and listen to the audience, just right. have a great time. You so know, that it was never for me. I can just do that right now. I can go shoot something and put it on the TV, sit back with a <laughs> with a whiskey, and go. Ah, isn't that great? A little mental semester. That's fine. I think yeah. we feel that way a little bit about radio. Uh, a little bit, you yeah. know, like uh, when I first started, I you know I was gonna you know be this the next you know uh, Orson Welles or whatever, right? And then I got a job uh, working for B96 in Chicago and it was <laughs> Justin Bieber and Katy Perry and I like, I loathed it, but I needed the job. But while I was there, I had- You find I, something. I, and I gained a whole new appreciation right. for the industry. and for what it is. Yeah, and for what it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, Sunny 95 is great, but let's, I mean, it's not the most artistic, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, I don't. Know. What are you yeah, saying? Right, right. Yeah. What are you saying? But, you know, I, uh, but, but we make fun with what with the tools sure. that we have, and we well, do the best we can. And, and, and we have a lot and, of fun doing it. And you know, again, it goes back to like Death Block Thirteen. <laughs> that's that code of honor. Right. If somebody hires you to do a job and you agree to do it for a dollar, and you don't give them a hundred percent, you failed. You failed. You know. And so, uh, w- one big thing I did learn also along the way, which I kind of discovered, was, you know. I remember getting my driver's license and driving to see Jaws when it first came out. So that dates me, right? Right. I'm sitting there watching Jaws. It was so great. I didn't get out of the seat. I sat there. The theater emptied out. It filled back up. They didn't kick me out. And I watched it again. And I drove home. I don't know how I drove home. I drove home. I told my mom the whole movie, every shot, every cut. Mm-hmm. I said, Spielberg's 26, 27. I can do this. I, can do yeah, it. I don't have to be an old fart with a pipe, you know, like all the guys sure. I'd see. You know, and all the, the background John stuff. Ford. Yeah. And I thought <laughs> I could do it. Um, the mis- I made a mistake early on. I told everybody, if I don't make it by the time I'm 27, I'll qu- I won't, I'll leave show business. Oh, wow. I won't do it. Okay. So I get married and I tell my wife, if I don't make it 
by the time I'm 30 making movies, I'll quit and I'll go back to the factory. Yeah. Every couple of years, I have to move the bar. You have to move the bar a little bit. Sure. I realized early on, stupidly, like, I'll have Spielberg's career. No, no. You'll have, I'll have Gary Jones's career. Mm-hmm. You have Gary like, Jones's if career. If I don't do what I do, if I don't find out what I do good and, and stick with that, how, I can't be those other people. But you did TV early on as yeah, well. Yeah, I did, yeah. So did you? what did you learn from TV? You went to New Zealand and you worked on Xena, I believe. Yeah, I, I and, learned I learned a, a ton. Yeah. I did my first movie, Mosquito, yeah. figured out how to make a movie stumbling through that movie. Right, right, right. And we sold it for a million dollars, which we didn't get, but mm-hmm. another Wait. story. But then I went right into TV and I got on a show called Xena Warrior Princess. They had very little money. It was an offshoot of Hercules. Mm-hmm. They shot on 16 millimeter, which was cool. And we had this group of people in New Zealand that hadn't really done much. All the talented people were on Hercules. I had all the new New Zealand crew. But well, what was Zoe Bell like? Seriously. <laughs> and I never worked I with Zoe. Zoe Bell. Oh, I never worked with her because I worked with Xena's first stunt double, Jerry Jacobson, okay. who nobody talks about. But she was on for the first three or four seasons. Nice. That's where I started. Uh, and there you go. The first three or four seasons. Is that a good run? Yeah, I think they did six or seven. Yeah. Um, but what I learned on TV really quickly was, uh, as a director, um, you don't get the cre- you don't get the creative input you'd like as a film as a film director. In TV, the writers and the producers control it and run it, and the actors run it. So your job is to move it along. You move it along. Now you can go. I'd like to do this. I like to do that. But the DP goes, no, you know, she looks better in the light this way. So we're going to shoot this direction. Okay, we're shooting this direction then. Yeah. So you are moving things around. Sure. You're the fall guy is what you really are. If you don't make it, the shoot, if the day doesn't get done, you get behind schedule, something goes wrong, it doesn't cut, it's your fault. Yeah, don't be that guy, right? No. So <laughs> as a director, TV is great because you have to move quick. You got to think on your feet. You've got to make decisions and you have to acquiesce power to other people and do it without, you know, embarrassing yourself. Uh but I also learned to not like television back then because it squelched what I wanted to do. Sure. But it, I made good money and I figured out how do I make it the best it could be. Again, it was the commercial side. Um, TV's way different today. I think some of the best stuff's going on in TV. Oh, we've all now. we've all had we've had that conversation so, on previous podcasts. Yeah, some of the best stuff right now it's is, is the is, best stuff going is streaming on TV, which is also a good thing for. Uh, a death block mm-hmm. because streaming exactly. is huge right exactly. now. That's the way a lot of people are getting their their cinema products these days is, is through streaming. Yeah, that's um, great. Uh, and, and and I look at some of the other films that you did and 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 and, I, and I'm not I'm not poking fun. I'm just noticing mm-hmm. a theme because it, it leads to my other question, which is a serious question. But you got you got Axe Giant, which like I said was wonderfully ridiculous. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that film. But it was like I'm watching a movie about. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> we, made, we made that movie. Uh, Jeff Mill and I, we made that movie by design. To We said, we need to sell this to the Sci-Fi Channel to make this make sense. Yeah. And we said, what's the Sci-Fi Channel formula besides the crazy, goofy, sometimes not very good VFX and, yeah. and the storylines and, the, and the, the monster every 15 minutes, right? Right. And, you know, we followed a, a basic path. And it worked. It we sold it to him. Boogeyman our, Three, our Spiders, Christina Coffin, and uh, yeah, Christina, our, our own Christina yep. Coffin's in that. In yeah, she was, yeah. 
Boogeyman 3, Spiders, Death Swamp, Mosquito, which uh, I guess is one of the most pirated uh, yeah, films. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I'll probably go home tonight and uh, go on YouTube and have to shut down two or three people that have already posted it and probably had it up for a few months and getting thousands of views. Um, I've shut the movie down. I go on YouTube and people will just post the movie and on their pages. And I've actually gone on pages where there was commercials in the movie. Somebody's making money. So, you know, people do their monetizing and it, up it goes. And I've been shutting it down, I don't know what, eight, nine, 10 years maybe. And I, you know. It's like a full-time you, job. YouTube won't answer me, but they make me like fill out every form and my underwear size and my copyright. Wow. And then they take the movie down off the person's platform. Two weeks later, it's up on 10 more. And I'm mm. thinking, but I can't upload Star Wars. I can't upload the Avengers. They won't let me do that. But why do they let me upload Mosquito? Why? Why? What's your answer? Uh, I think it's pretty pretty simple economics. I mean, you know, you deal with Disney, you deal with Marvel and YouTube. And they're all big corporations. Right. They police each other. But, you know, look at all the product below those. 99% of the product out there is not Marvel. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's either uh, independent films, low-budget movies, and just tons and tons of other various level movies so they don't it's under their radar gotcha really. you don't have a big lawyer that's that's what they look at. Uh, you well, well i'm yes. curious about the movie yes. why is mosquito this like highly well, uh sought after flick well, why don't you cash in on it have I, you posted well, it so here's the thing so i think part of it is is uh the first time i went on youtube and saw it up there somebody had it up for three or four years or whatever it was and they had something like three hundred thousand hits well, then I started looking into the YouTube thing. You know, if you monetize, you can make money. I'm like, what? I'm going, holy shit, you know? These people are making money off my movie. Right. You know, and there's commercials. How come YouTube's not sending us a check, you know? So I started taking it to figure it out. I started taking it down. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe because I keep taking it down all these years, people want it more and they, they put it back up. So we basically, uh, we put out the 20th anniversary uh, Blu-ray all the making special making of back in 2015 and that was a way to circumvent i thought well people won't want the old version which is crappy and of course then they pirate this new version no, put right, that right, up right. too but um one of my angles is is you know what i gotta do basically i gotta get a hold of youtube and say hey look why don't you guys let's be a partnership you put mosquito up on youtube for a three dollar rental and give me a buck or whatever that deal is and you police it and don't let anybody else put it up and so we can make some money I think he also wants to know what the movie's about. Yeah, come on. <laughs> mosquito? Is it like the fly? Yeah. Uh, no, it's about giant, uh, giant killer, six foot giant nice. killer mosquito. I've seen it. I went to the crest, uh, crest plant and watched it with Phil. Tight. Giant mosquitoes. It's a, it's a classic. I mean, it's yeah, a throwback. It's a throwback to the giant bug it's movies fun. of the 50s Once and again, alien, going alien spaceship back crashes. To your childhood. Alien the, spaceship crashes, mosquito lands on an alien. Uh, Drinks the blood from an alien and grows into a giant radiated mosquito. There's your story. That's how it's simple. I got the, one more question for each of you, then we'll get some details about uh, where you can see Escape from Death Block 13. Um, my my last question for you, at least I think it'll be the last question sometimes. <laughs> well, I got one too, unless you ask my question. Do you want me to ask my Will question? Ask your question too, because I would like to ask my last. But question. what if it's the same I question? Would, I would like my last question to be the last to question. Be the last question. But what if it's the same question? Will I be stealing your last question? It could thunder? be happen, and then there'll be a fight, and then he can tell us how to do it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> as long as I win. As long as I win. 
No, uh, I, so for people who are listening outside of Ohio, the Ohio Reformatory is where you filmed mm-hmm. this, and this is also where Shawshank Redemption is. But it's also one of the most haunted. Uh, He's a Halloween. Yeah, I'm a Halloween nut. You know, Halloween. It's most haunted uh, building in, in the in the state. Blah blah blah. Sure. So, and you guys live up there. So, I guess what was it like filming? Because I assume any director would be like, "Well, this was actually part. You know, it was a, a character in the film. You know, blah blah mm-hmm. blah." How uh, how was uh, yeah right yeah how so how was it working and filming in this infamous uh, location? Well, you know, it was actually like a character in the film. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know, it was, uh, I knew right off the bat, okay, I'm getting that prison. You know, that's where my movie's going to take place. Because, I mean, again, it's, you know, I've been in her a bunch of times and I knew I could make it cool. And I, and I, I thought nobody's ever really used it like Shawshank. No one's really shown the, mo- the prison. And the Stallone movie was there a year before. And you don't really see much of the prison in that movie. Um, but it was very, very cool. One of the uh, uh, issues with it is, I got a really great deal. I did work for the prison. I did all their billboards for their haunts for a few years, all the cool. graphics and stuff. And I did a trade and and did some other work for them to get shooting days there because my our budget was low. Sure. But unfortunately, um, we had to shoot around the tours. So I couldn't start till four in the afternoon. So it was four in the afternoon to four in the morning. So of course we went from Long day days. to night, night to day. And you know, and I'm shooting days, shooting nights, the lights here, the lights there. So it was kind of a crazy nightmare. I didn't see anything ghost wise. Well, there, there was a couple, but remember you, there would be battery packs. So we'd, well, the batteries full, would die. And they yeah. would die and they would be drained. But I was too, I was kind of like just trying to get through this. I didn't, I mean, it could have been a ghost sitting on my shoulder. I don't know. But <laughs> well, you would see crazy. orbs in the stills. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I worked security for the haunted prison and we would do walkthroughs at the end to make sure there were nobody hiding in the cells and stuff. And there was, they always ran the fog machines and they would have lights. And on the fourth floor, there was a somebody walking down the, in front of the cell blocks. And so I yelled, hey, you got to get out of there. You know, you can't be up there. And went around the corner. You really couldn't see all it was like a shadow walking through the fog. And so I went back to the security guy and I said, hey, somebody's up on that fourth floor. We need to go. There's nobody up there. Everything's locked. And I said, there's somebody up there because there was another guy with me. And there's somebody up there because he saw it too. We went and the um, gates to the upstairs were padlocked shut. <laughs> now, supposedly at one time there was a gentleman in there that caught his mattress on fire back in the 60s or 50s and pulled it on top of himself because he was getting abused by the other inmates and killed himself in there. And they say he comes out every night and he walks that mm-hmm. up and down there. Freak the hell out of me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't believe Bunyan in all that stuff. Bunyan scared of that stuff. No, if I was in my Bunyan suit, I would have handed it down with my ass. <laughs> it would have been dead, would have been dead, <laughs> dead <laughs> ghost. is kind of redundant. But. <laughs> well, you know, I, I did wonder when, uh, you know, after the shooting was over, I'm, you know, we're editing and going through the footage. I'm like, you know, I'm going to see something in here. I'm, I, there's going to be something. I thought that'll be kind of cool. I'll use it a, as a blooper reel or something. Right, I thought right, there might right, be right. something. I'm like, hey, maybe if I get something on here that's, really cool i could sell it and get money to finish this movie and i looked and looked and now no, it's just all our footage you know, I that's didn't it see uh, that's it just our movie uh, no my ass <laughs> nothing <laughs> yeah that's awesome thank you um, i can't believe that you took my last question wow wow all right go man that go, wasn't go your question no it was not my question was there ever a point during production where you said how the fuck are we going to finish this goddamn movie um, <laughs> no, you know, what's interesting is we, that 
No, it didn't. I mean, and I, I literally, you know, I only had about a third of the money when I started. Um, I had a window of time because of the, they were going to do the, uh, the, uh, the haunt that was coming up and they couldn't give me any more time. And I thought I had a little window of time to shoot. And so I, I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough prep, didn't have enough of anything. So what did I do? I do what I always do. Hey, Phil, Phil Garrett. Hey, mm-hmm. Phil, come on down and help me yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. Phil jumped aboard and we went and we knocked out, you know, six, seven days of shooting. Then I was off for a month and I went up to Michigan and produced a Western for my buddy, took all the money he gave me on that movie. And then I came back and we did another couple of weeks of shooting. So I knew it would get done because I've never not finished. Yeah. Um, I've never not finished and I've had long stretches. Axe Giant actually started in like 2008 with a few little trailers. Then we didn't do anything for three, four years. So, um, I guess I would have to say in 2020, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, when everything started to shut down from COVID and I had all the rest of the posts to do and everything and all, you know, 800 visual effects, I went, I probably went, how's this going to get done? And I thought, well, I can't work. There's no jobs. I can't do anything else. I can, I'll just finish the goddamn movie. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's you do visual brief effects, moment. so you probably worked on that a lot. Yeah, about 800 shots in the movie. Yeah, I'm sure. Wow. Um, yeah, a, a little too much, shots. but... I sort of set myself up while I was shooting. Like when I ran into problems, damn, you know, fix it in post. I'll put the I'll put the muzzle flashes in post. My favorite visual effect I've seen you do is uh, when uh, oh shit in Axe Giant when uh, uh, what's his name uh, the bear guy uh, Grizzly Adams. Oh, Grizzly Adams into the into the uh, in the sawmill. Yes, the sawmill blade. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> and cut him in half. Hey, he said, he, uh, Dan Hager, he said, you know, I've never died in any of the movies. Yeah, well, guess what? Like, guess what, pal? <laughs> Your dream has come true. I can't believe John Whitney took my last question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, yeah, this wraps it up. Thanks, guys. Well, surely you have a question about Jolly Roger and the, the pole dancing, uh, 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 getting your head cut up. Never mind. No, I don't, but I love the, I love the title. <laughs> no, I'm going to start with Chris, then we'll finish up with cool. you. Uh, since you've gone from wrestling into acting and you've, you've been doing the, the stunt work and now you, you got you got a taste for it, right? Yeah. And, I mean, it's easy to look at you and, and, and as a casting director physically think, well, I'm going to cast him as the prison guard, right. the Russian prison guard, right. the bouncer, right. the heavy. As an actor now, is there a part or a kind of part that you're hoping you get a chance to do a type of role that you want that you haven't done yet. You know, the, the thing is, is I look at these guys like um, Jason Momoa and Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. And these guys all play superheroes. And they're all in their late 20s, early 50s. And I'm 50 years old. So the next thing I'd like to do is I'd like to be a superhero. You know, I mean, I think I can, I'm, I'm an actor with stun abilities is right. what I call myself. So I can kill two birds with one stone even though I know producers and directors don't like actors doing their own stunt work because if they get hurt, then they got to shut production down, whatever. But so I always use my stunts stuff to get my foot in the door, but I'm getting older. I got to get a hip replaced and my shoulders are shot and all that good stuff. But I'm getting more into the acting and I'm, I don't actually, I listen to a lot of like master classes, master acting classes and not everything works for me because I get typecasted. I'm a character actor. You do. I was going to say, people look at you and, yeah. they, and they immediately think. Prison guard, bodyguard. You'll never see me in the notebook. You know, you'll never see me. But in, that's, I guess that's my, like that. that's my question. You know? 
And do I have a problem with it? Absolutely not. As you, long as but, I'm working. Okay, I don't as long care. as you're working. But I don't not, care. There's not a, 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 a project in your, in your heart or in your head like someday I know I could be doing this type Hamlet. role on film. I mean, not Hamlet, but... <laughs> you know, Gary always tells me what I need to do is I need to just start doing theater work yeah. because theater work prepares you to be an actor because in an actor, we can do take two or take three, take four. In theater work, you're on stage. You got to do it. And if you don't do it, you got to be thinking on your feet. But it's your part. You own it. Exactly. Yeah, whatever it is, it's yours. And so I'm thinking about doing some theater work at the local theater in Mansfield just to kind of polish up on my acting. But out of everything that I'd like to do overall, I'd like to do a comedic role. Because <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I come That's off my question. as a rough, rugged, whatever. Right. I'd like to look, and I have no problem doing this on my own, looking stupid and ridiculous. <laughs> to be on screen and look stupid and ridiculous, I kind of like to see what I look like when I look stupid and ridiculous. Right. You could you know? be in our uh, comedy heist movie. You could be in our comedy heist <laughs> yeah. movie. The, Definitely. The, the, Give me a call. The one that we keep uh, <laughs> talking and brewing about and... Eventually, we'll no, write but a that's a about, good formula. But, then, uh, but I it's mean, good. The Rock yeah. did it because right. I've got kids, so I've seen all. I've seen more like comedy kid fam family movies sure. with The Rock than action movies. Well, that The Rock, yeah, by branching out and doing the humor. And so, well, Schwarzenegger started. I mean, well, sure, right. Yeah, kindergarten Cop. And, and, I mean, yeah. there, there, there was a movie called Be Cool where The Rock played a gay right. bodyguard. Right, right, right. And for me, something like that, I've got to be able to outact my acting ability which puts pressure on me. And I always have a tendency to thrive when there's pressure on me because I don't want to look like a fool. You know, I don't want to go on set just like I was told when I did stonework. If you can't do a fire burn, don't tell someone you can do a fire burn because if somebody hires you for a fire burn and you can't do it, you're going to get a bad name in the business. Yep. So don't come off and, and say you're a great actor if you're not a great actor because they may give you miles and miles of dialogue that you have to learn and if I can't learn all that and I go on set and they say, well, are you ready? And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Line. they're not going to hire me anymore. So right. I have to be prepared and I have to do things that are inside my circle sure. that I can do. I can't do anything outside until I accomplish everything. I'll be inside. curious. It's all about expanding the circle. Yeah. Every, every but, but away from stunts too, like, like you said, a character actor. It's right. Like, if you look at all the, all the people, you know, all the, all the guys you follow. Right. Um, they don't do this. They do action stuff, and stuff right. but there's stunt people that do it again because it's you become a commodity. Sure. You're not, you know, you're not going to ride that motorcycle through the plate glass window. It ain't going to happen. Right. You know, well, Gary always so. tells me you got to develop a brand, mm -hmm. a brand. You have to have a team around you. You have to have people that are going to support you. You can't have any negativity in your in your mm -hmm. circle to bring you down. You know, I mean, do I need that kick in the butt where somebody says, Eh, that might be outside your uh, window. Mm -hmm. You might, yeah, I do need that because then I get a little higher on my horse yeah. and I do something that I can't do. So I need somebody in my circle that's going to be brutally honest with me and say, hey, you might think twice about doing that. I don't know if you can do it. And so I do need something like that. But I have to develop a brand and that brand is, and I need to perfect that brand or that character that I want to be. So that's the kind of the way I look at it, okay. you know? I think the theater would be a good good move. That's yeah. definitely going to challenge you. Sure it is. Especially the first time they ask you if you're off book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Are you off book yet? You got it memorized? You got your part yeah. memorized? Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah. Uh... I, I, theater scares the shit out of me. Yeah, me I, too. I, I've not done it, and everybody says I I mean, it's I different try, when you like, got a... Ooh. We got 2,500 people staring right. at you in your life where I have 
15 people behind mics and cameras and right. stuff like that. And if I screw up, I know I can do another take. Do another take. You know? Can't do another take until the next night. Exactly. Next night. And my if last... there is another night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not closed after night Say, one. thank you very much. It was nice working with you. And you, my friend, we'll Gary you. Jones, uh, like, we went down some of the list of some of the, the films you've done. And, of course, the most recent one, Escape from Death Block 13. And I'm trying to pick up on the vibe. I don't know. If you're, if this this might just be a simple no answer, and if it is, so be it. But I don't think I don't think that'll be the case. Is there a passion project in you? You say you're in the commercial art business. Mm-hmm. That's away from the commercial art business. That's away from this these action film genres, these horror genres. Mm-hmm. As you've gone from the time you were a kid until where you are right now, has there been whether you said it to yourself or to your wife, honey, someday I'm going to make a movie about this. And it's completely different from this body of work that you yeah. have here. Well, it's interesting actually, because you know, most of the, most of the things that I want to do, they, you know, they're in various categories. Right. You know, um, but they're all, Nothing that doesn't, they all, they all seem commercial to me. Do I you, think they all are. Do you get but, what I'm trying to say? Like, if yeah. I make this movie, people are going to see my name on it and go, this is a Gary Jones movie? So, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so in Death Block 13, I took the credit written and directed by. Right. And I did it for a reason in that I came into this business, direct, you know, wanting to be a director. Um I started writing to make stuff to get into the business. So writing wasn't the first thing. I mean, I, you know, it takes me forever to write. I can't read my own, my spellings all messed up, right? Or reading. I didn't want to do that stuff in school. I wanted to direct and make movies. Um, but as I went, as I went through my career, I, I started to do a little bit more writing, a little bit more. And I started to see the power structure of how things work. And it's like an idea is stronger than any director, any actor, an idea, those simple words on a page, a thought, an idea, a story. It's the most powerful thing. And as I've been moving through my career as a director, and I've directed TV shows and you know movies and doing effects and things, um, I thought, as my dad always said, get really good at something, you know, and you'll never be out of work. You know, if you were a plumber or dig ditches, whatever it is. So I thought I got good at what I did. And then the bottom fell out of the industry and the pay rates dropped and the sci-fi channel money dropped. Everything just dropped. So instead of making more each movie, I started to make less. I go, what's going on? It was the economics of the business Mm -hmm. is going a certain way. And I realized, you know, it's not enough to be really good at what you do, right? You have to find out what in that business you're in, what's going to allow you to keep doing those things you like to do. And part of it is writing and coming up with a story. So on this movie, I made the turn and go written and directed by. So as I move forward, it's written and directed by, not directed by, because it's the story. It's, It's the writing where everything comes from. And if you have that and even if the story's not well written, but it's a great idea, you can bring writers and you can bring people in sure. that are more versed to make that Bunch work. But as a director, great. But if you don't have a hit, 
I mean, I have friends that are that have directed movies that are 10 times better than any movie ever made and they can't sell their movie or they don't get another shot. And I'm like, well, how, this guy's a good director. How come he's not being hired? It's a whole lot. The business is about a lot of other stuff. You know, it's flavor of the month. It's hitting, you know, uh, lightning catching in the bottle. So the writing, I guess I, guess I have to say is like, I'm concentrating more on coming up with the story. And I also discovered I really like producing. I don't have to be in the director's chair. I always thought I had to be in the director's chair. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have to be there to get to create, to be creative and do it. So having, it's writing. Having produced uh, films with John and one behind you as well, that's that's a whole different hat as well. It's you, a different you hat. You don't have to be, but a good producer, yeah, a good executive producer and producer period is, right. is huge. And, even, and as a producer, huge. recognizing a good story. Right. So once again, what's the most powerful thing in the business? Yeah, you can have Tom Cruise in the movie and it can bomb. But if there's a story right. that gets everybody's juices flowing and creative, you it you have a shot. You have longevity. I think Hence your commercial. Yeah, or the um you know, the we're talking about the streaming. These streaming shows are taking off because people go, Oh, what the hell, give it a shot. I don't know mm-hmm. anybody in it, don't know what it's about, right. but then they're hooked. Right. And right. then they watch ten hours of it and want more. Escape yeah. from Death Block 13. Vengeance can't be caged. Bum, 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 bum. Give us all the all the pertinent details cool. as, as to far as as to when people can see it, how they can see it. Uh, and we're dropping this podcast early enough that if there are some upcoming Columbus dates, uh, cool. we can get those in there and they'll be they'll be timely Great. as well. So go. Uh, Gateway Theater on the 15th of October. We're we going to be screening one. there. That's in Columbus for all the Columbus crowd. And then I think after that, we'll be up in Cleveland at uh, the Capitol Theater, probably toward the end of the month. Um, and then we're screening in L.A. for the L.A. cast and crew who didn't make it out to our cast and crew screening. Nice. That's going to be at the end of October, uh, October 23rd. Um, we have some more drive-in screenings, hopefully up in Michigan, where I'm working on right now. And then November 2nd, we hit all the streaming platforms. Everywhere you, wherever you, you know, iTunes, whatever, pay-per-view, Dish TV. Uh, end of November, it'll be Walmart DVDs. Nice. Um, physical copy? Physical copies, nice. yeah. We're actually going to have it. Um, uh, and those are the those are the places where where people pick them up. They do. You know, they, they DVDs, aren't, DVDs are not that big anymore. But, but not it's, dead. It's not dead. Not and again, dead. Uh, anything with, any, you know, as a product. Uh, I have a friend that's putting out VHS tapes. I'm going to work a deal out with him to put this out on VHS. Yeah. You have to put, you put your product on any platform anybody will pay for. And so, yeah, by uh, by end of November, we should be everywhere. And we're waiting to hear about Netflix and Redbox, which I'm hoping cool. for. Nice. So come November, you probably won't be able to escape. Dude, from death block 13. <laughs> you won't be able to do it. And then the vengeance will be all mine. Yeah. All the millions nice. rolling in. Uh, many thanks, gentlemen. Thank well, you. Thank you. Best of luck with your I career. Appreciate it. Thank, you. thank you so much for coming. Gary, thank you so much. Thank you. It's Best of luck with the film. I can't wait to see it in its entirety because now I've just been teased with the clips. Uh, <laughs> it's you know, good, Dino. It's fun. It's, it's, it's fun. fun. Uh, you know, I, I'm anxious to see more of Robert Brownsey. 
Yeah, because yes. I was a huge Charles Bronson fan. Oh, yes. yes, and then you also got Nick Turturro. You got Lawrence Jacobs Jacobs, in, the, yeah. in the film from Chris Hahn. Yeah, Chris Hahn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Debbie Scaletta from uh, up in uh, Cleveland, and uh, Linda Russell from right down here in Columbus. And I'd be remiss. I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention our own Rick Napoli. Rick Napoli's in it. Yep. yep. But I want to thank our guest model, Big House Whiskey, Pretty straight good. bourbon whiskey. Not bad. Not yeah, John Whitney thought it'd be appropriate since we were talking about a prison film to have Big House Whiskey. <laughs> Uh, a few years ago, and I said, "No, seventeen. Someday, the big house. Be a show where we would have this. Whiskey. Seventeen the bucks a bottle. House. This is a good everyday pour. Yeah, in your everyday uh, bourbons. So without a doubt, it's got a nice touch of vanilla and caramel in it. And uh, if I remember the nose correctly, it was. Uh, no, I can't really tell no. from that anymore. It was good. It, it, it was great. Finish, very flavorful. Nice. Very nice. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. So thank you to that." And thank you again, gentlemen. Also, thank, thank Greg you. Hansberry mm-hmm. on the audio side of things. Thanks, do you want sir. to remind people again what to do real quick? Yeah, well, ever quick, ever quick, evergreenpodcast.com, whiskeybusinesspod.com. Uh, fav- uh, thank you for sub- subscribing on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Whiskey Business with Dina Tripodis, and and we're working out a deal with Redbox. So we'll- no, no, we're not. <laughs> we're, no, we're not. No, no, these yeah. On, uh, CDs. Yeah. On CDs. There you yeah. go. Cassette. No. Cassette tape. No. Cassette tape. Eight track cassettes. Eight tracks. That's all. Eight tracks. Oh my baby. Get out the scotch retro. tape. Fix them and they work. On the video side, John Whitney. So much. Thank you. Uh, our guests have been uh, Gary Gary Jones, writer and director and actor Chris Hahn, who plays Bunyan in Escape from Death Block 13. Vengeance can't be caged, but you can have a pretty cool conversation over the course of it on Whiskey Business. I'm Dieter Chapotis. Until the next bottle, see you. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.